this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This week, we are offering four conversations from episode 61, in which Dr. Ali Aminian, lead author of the Splendor Study, discusses the effects of bariatric surgery on major cardiovascular events and liver outcomes. This conversation starts with Stephen Harrison and then Wayne Eskridge, answering Ali's earlier question about whether regression of cirrhosis is possible. From there, the group goes on to discuss the value of GLP-1 selexamaglutide and the not-yet-released terzepatide to drive dramatic weight loss, although not quite at the level of bariatric surgery, and what that can mean for NASH patients. Finally, Roger goes past that to ask whether the double and triple agonists in development, which are reported to provide 20% or greater reduction, will have the same effect as bariatric surgery. The group believes that probably will happen. This paper is important in many ways and provides powerful, dramatic data about the effect of weight loss on cardiovascular and liver outcomes. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the discussion on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. But there is a continuum here, Ollie. We don't do a good job of quantifying the degree of collagen and the degree of portal hypertension in these patients that we're enrolling in clinical trials. It's a mixed bag. It's uh, it's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And so I do think as you just cross over from an F3 to an F4, well compensated, everything's looking good, I think that's more likely to show regression as opposed to somebody that's been F4 for a while. We're beginning to see vascular changes, portal hypertension, bigger spleen size, more significant spleen stiffness. That's a tougher nut to crack. The bariatric surgery data, as you know, is very limited in the cirrhotic population. We have the LaSalle paper. I had the the honor one time of moderating a session he was speaking at, and I asked, I said, how many cirrhotics do you have? How many do you actually have five-year follow-up data on? And Ali, you could count them on one hand, one hand. So when you're looking at 100 patients, that's like 25 times greater than anything published in the literature relative to bariatric surgery in a well-comp F4 population. Quite frankly, if anybody's going to give us that first answer relative to any significant weight loss correlating with improvement in histopathology, it might come out of the Cleveland Clinic with your name on it. So we're certainly anxious to see. But I think like anything else, the liver activation of cellate cells and laying down of collagen content is similar, whether you're and you're inducing it through a viral mechanism, through an alcoholic mechanism, an obesity diabetic mechanism, a drug-induced liver injury mechanism, a cholestatic mechanism, you're laying down collagen. And at the end of the day, that amount of collagen will lead to dysfunctionality in the liver and portal hypertension and all its complications. So to me, if I can regress that collagen content by treating viral hepatitis, to me, if we get the right treatment for NASH, then we should be able to move that off of a cirrhotic platform as well. NASH patients are not aliens. They behave very similarly to hep C and hep B cirrhotic patients. Uh, just they don't progress quite as rapidly as viral hepatitis patients do. Wayne, you might have some additional comments from your perspective. Well, I do. I have a smaller study than you. It's an end of one, but I do have a lot of contact with people who report similar things to me. So I have a very large informal relationship with people 
that are in all of these stages of disease. In my case, I was your well-compensated cirrhotic. Today, I can't be diagnosed as a cirrhotic, according to my hepatologist. But as you say, my platelet count has never come up. <laughs> it went down into the 120 range, and it stayed there. And there's no recovery on that. But my liver stiffness, my spleen size has decreased, my general metabolic functioning has improved. That's all because of weight loss. So this is important. The question that I have from a patient perspective is, how do we get people engaged in weight loss effectively before they need that surgery? I think it's really fascinating data. I think there's no question that if you get the weight reduced and you maintain a reasonable lifestyle, you can see improvement in liver function. And as you were saying, if you stabilize the chemistry of the liver, even if you can't regress the actual fibrosis, you're going to be better off as a patient. You're going to feel better. And that's what we see all the time. We have lots and lots of evidence that if people do engage in a weight loss program and stick with it, that they can improve their situation. It's one of the things that I deal with that you guys see all the time. I remember a patient who was said to me, I need to gain some weight because my surgeon won't operate on me until I weigh this much. So, you know, that siren song of surgery as a goal is something that I worry about and how that energy as a patient advocate, I would like to see more effort put into engaging people in weight loss effectively before they need the surgery. But if they get to a place where they have been failures at that, I think surgery is a rational step, but it needs to not be perceived by the patient community as an early stage intervention. So thanks, Ryan, for sharing your story. I 100% agree with you. The problem is that Currently, 40% of Americans have obesity. 10% have severe obesity. It's very, very large number of patients suffer from obesity, and we all know the consequences of obesity. The unfortunate situation is that we don't have very effective medications to treat obesity. Until recently, that we got the GLP-1 agonist, like semaglutide, and we're probably soon gonna have the terzepatide, hopefully gonna be approved by FDA next year. And these medications can provide weight loss in the range of 10 to 15%. I think if these medications can be available to a large number of patients, that can improve the overall health of population. As we need, so losing 1% or 2% or 3% body weight not going to change anything. We need to lose a large amount of weight and keep the weight up for a long period of time to see the metabolic effects and metabolic benefits of weight loss. And these new medications can do that. So there is potential for semaglutide, trisabatide, and new medications that are in the pipeline to provide 10% 
or greater weight loss, then that can help for a large number of patients. They cannot reach to the extent of weight loss that bariatric surgery provides, which is in the range of 20, 25, 30%. But those medications can help a large number of patients. And for the context of NASH, if we have medication that can at the same time provide some extent of weight loss and then can directly work on the liver and change the alter the mechanisms in the liver, those type of medication can be very effective in treating NASH because we know that in many patients it start with fat accumulation and the obesity. So if the medication like semaglutide or similar medications can do both at the same time, provide some weight loss and directly affect the liver, those are going to be more successful treatments for NASH. Great. So question, Ali, to you and to Stephen Wayne also, but more the, the two medical people. We're not talking about drugs out in the future, double, triple agonists that actually believe they can reduce weight 20% or more. Is there any intrinsic reason to believe that a drug that reduced weight 20 to 25% would have a better or a worse outcome on MALO and MACE than surgery would? And if so, why? So that's a good question. So these medications, so, so these single agonists or dual agonists can provide 15-20% weight loss, uh, maybe. So they have to do the trial. So they, they, we have to do the cardiovascular outcome trial to see if those medications can decrease the risk of MACE. And for MALO, it's going to be more difficult to do. But we have to wait and see. I guess the result is going to be comparable if they provide this similar weight loss effects. If the intervention and medication, then I would expect very similar outcomes in terms of reduction in risk of MACE and MALO. I'd agree with that. I mean, I think weight loss is weight loss. Ultimately, its effect is, is likely to be similar. The question then becomes follow-up and morbidity. You know, if you do a Roux-en-Y or a sleeve and you gain their weight back, then now now what are you going to do? If you put them on a dual or a triple agonist and they lose weight and go off the medicine and gain their weight back, then you can potentially put them back on the medicine or send them to surgery at that point. To Ali's point, we don't know. There's We don't have a head-to-head trial looking at what one is going to do over the other. And so maybe that's a topic for another discussion. But it's intriguing to think about. I mean, I, the, the most important thing is I, I think we're getting to the point where maybe we have some options. We're potentially a year and a half away from a good shot at a first FDA-approved therapy for NASH. We have the Splendor data out now showing us that, in fact, good things can happen in the right patients, in the right surgical hands, treated appropriately, like Ali has shown us in his data. And then now we've got the future of semaglutide and other GLPs. You've got the dual and the triple agonists that are looking very positive. Again, NASH is a multimodality disease. There's not a one-size-fits-all prescription. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. Starting next Wednesday, December 22nd, we will kick off our year-end series, which will include three full episodes and nine or ten longer-form conversations with some of the leaders who've joined our episodes throughout the year. We've recorded three of these conversations as of today, December 16th, and all are fascinating and insightful. If you have downtime during the holiday, make sure to check it out. And if we don't see you later in the year, and this is the last you hear from me in 2021, have a wonderful holiday season, stay safe, surf on, and we'll see you on the podcast in January. Bye-bye now.